Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're so glad that you're here. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash, and as always, I am joined by my co-hostess with the most S, Christy Oxborough. How are you feeling? I'm doing great. Like, I, I, like I feel like I'm on uh, an emotional edge, but that's just, it's late at night. I, uh, yep. I've had a week. Like, there's just a lot of things, so I just feel like it's all culminating into me feeling a little crazy. Well, good news, sister friend, because I'm toot toot on the crazy train. Uh, going off the rails on the crazy. Um, I worked for many hours today. Yep. I have been up since 5 a.m. Jesus. 15 hours at this point. Is that right? 12? No. Uh, 12? Well, 5 a.m. for you is 6 a.m. for me. And... 24 hours, six, wait, 17 hours. That's it. 17 hours, 17 hours. Yeah. That was embarrassing for me. Nope. No, ma'am. I think I worked for 14. I don't remember. It's a blur. Yeah. Uh, Point is, we're here. We're getting her done. We're doing our thing. Uh, Couldn't be happier. Um, It's November 1st. And you know what that means? Halloween. Christmas. Sorry. I'm already thinking Christmas. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Halloween merches out and Christmas merches in. That's right, yes. babies. Now, listen, the merch is not, I don't think that the merch is going to be in the store as of today because I'm still waiting on samples. But I've got to tell you, dear listeners, I have new items coming that I am jazzed about. Oh, yeah. One thing that came today was one of the ornament samples, and it is oh. so cute. Wooden ornaments, nice quality. Also, a hidden magnet in there. You can hang it on your tree or put it on your fridge. Also, wine tumblers. I'm sorry. What? Drinking my Kimmy C out of there tonight. I could not be happier. And of course, I'm wearing one of our shirts that came today, which is a uh, Burton Larry Christmas 
It's uh, Bert, Bert, and Mary. That's the Christmas theme. Uh, they're dressed as little snowmen. I could not be happier. As we all know, I come alive when it comes to the merch designs, and I, uh, yeah. I'm just jazzed. So keep an eye, truecrewmerch.com. I'll, we'll obviously announce it on uh, on our socials when all of the items are available. But I didn't want to do a slow rollout, and as everybody of knows, course. or maybe you don't, OG listeners know, I do order samples at my own cost uh, ahead of time of anything that I put in that store because I want to make sure that it's up to snuff. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I also love, I did not know uh, that you were going to have the Christmas stuff, any of it yet. Uh, Me neither. (laughs) We never discuss what we wear anymore because we used to always plan out what shirts are we going to wear together and then we kind of just stop doing that because you have so many. I know. (laughs) I know. It just, it always turned into like, oh, I don't know where that one is. Oh, that one's not clean. What are you going to? So then it's just turned into, we wear whatever and it is what it is. So what I love, November 1st. Yeah. You're in the Christmas and I'm still in the uh, Halloween, the Bert and Larry Halloween. But what I love is that it's both Bert and Larry. I do too. And And that feels like that is really timeless. Yes. Very timeless. Uh, now listen. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, it's fine. Oh, I was just—I was just going to say. Um, we're of course kicking off our coverage of the new Netflix Unsolved Mysteries episodes yes. with this episode of the show. We're going to be talking, of course, mystery at mile marker forty-five. Um, we did a, we did a like a little spontaneous poll. Yeah, on Instagram and on Twitter, right? Uh, or just on Instagram? In, Instagram and Twitter, I put a poll to ask just how people were liking it. That's it. That's and it. then I just did the one on Instagram just out of curiosity what people liked. I was going to do one on Facebook, but I literally cannot figure out how to do it. It's confusing. I know. Yeah. Um, but this was the episode of the the batch of the first three because yeah. Unsolved Mysteries is being released in little batches of three over three weeks. This was the one that people uh, enjoyed the most. So we said, that's yeah. the one we'll, ca- we'll tackle first. And so here we are. Yeah. But before we get into it, obviously, we, we have a few things we need to address. Um, there's been more celebrity deaths. And I these can't. ones yep. have hit Christy very close to home, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. I mean, obviously, it's sad when anyone dies. Yeah. Um, Yeah, maybe not murderers. But it's just, they always say celebrity deaths happen in threes. And I cannot remember a time in my life since learning that Mm -hmm. where all three deaths have affected me quite badly. Yeah. (laughs) Usually it's like, oh, there's one. Sometimes there's two. But usually there's one where it's like, oh, that's sad. I didn't know them, didn't know of them, or whatever. But this time... (laughs) Yeah. This time, absolutely all three. And it's it's been uh, a couple of weeks. Uh, First off, on October 11th, we we lost Angela Lansbury. We did. And... uh, you and I did not take that well. We did not. That was uh, that was a rough one. Uh, then three days later, uh, dear Mr. Robbie Coltrane passed. And some may know him um, from Cracker. Uh, he was in Van Helsing. He was in Ocean's 12 in this scene where he was fucking with Matt Damon, which was so funny. 
Um, but of course, the main thing I know and love him from, he was Hagrid in the Harry Potter series. And I just, oh, what a gentle giant. I, oh no, I can't. Here she comes. Um, I, I, I just always love Hagrid so much and I feel like he doesn't get enough for what a good pure soul he is. Um, J.K. Rowling is garbage. We don't even need to get into that. No. But, uh. But Hagrid was so pure. Uh, and then just when I thought things, I thought, I knew, I was like, oh, there's going to be a third. I know it. Yeah. Something's going to go on. And then uh, October 24th, I was shocked uh, with the loss of Leslie Jordan. Yes. Now, Leslie Jordan, um, I, I I would say most don't, maybe some people might not know him, but that's probably not true. Um, the amount of times that there's a celebrity death, a lot of like People Magazine and uh, Entertainment Tonight and things like that will post like a single time, like an, oh, what a loss. Here's photos from their life. But Leslie Jordan, every day, multiple day times a day since his passing, everyone's been posting multiple times about what a beautiful light he was. Um, my favorite... Favorite thing, uh, he played Beverly Leslie on Will and Grace, and his dynamic with Karen Walker, a.k.a. Megan Mullally, is one of my favorite things in the world, and I could not have been happier. Well, I should point out, he won an Emmy for playing Beverly Leslie, so I will say that, but I could not have been happier during the pandemic when he went viral for being everyone's pandemic buddy, his videos of just like, hey, y'all, how you doing? And then just a, well, shit. <laughs> like, it it just cracks me up. And what a beautiful, beautiful light. And just, oh, talk about a pure soul. It's just so crushing. Yeah. And it's, it's just the fact of all three, I was like, oh, I can't take it. And I'm going to say it. It hasn't been the same since we lost Betty. I know. There's been an energy shift. And uh, it's it's really just uh, one thing after the other. Oh, God. But uh, yes, to Angela Lansbury and Robbie Coltrane and the lovely Leslie Jordan. I mean, shout out from where we are to wherever you are. Because... Yeah. Just know it's, <laughs> it has affected me deeply. <laughs> I know. It's, it's been a, it's been a rough one. It's been a rough one. Um, cause I mean, I already have other, uh, things that I'm, uh, won't get into. It's, it's boring for most, um, that I'm already emotional about, but, and I can't get into it cause I already feel it, things are going to happen, but, uh, I have a couple of shout outs. If oh, Sure. Not related to what we were just speaking of. Uh, one, <laughs> uh, I want to I wanna shout out a dear lady that I know named Nicole. Now, I, I, I know you're listening, Nicole. I am not going to. Don't worry. Um, uh, we are both moms uh, to football players on the same team. Yeah. And uh, 
I we saw each other at a game recently, and she looked at me and went, do not mention this on your show, because if you cry, I'm going to cry, and I listen at work. <laughs> and then there came a part where she knew that I might cry, uh, just because it's my son's last season and I can't get into it. It's just an emotional thing for me. But um, <laughs> we, her and I have talked throughout the season about, like, how hard it is, and she had a, one of her children recently graduate, so it was, she gets it. So when I get into it, she gets flooding back from last year, and it's a whole thing for her. So she saw me at the game and just went, nope, Oxborough, no. I can't do it, Oxborough, not now. And <laughs> I, I did fully crack up, and she's like, please don't specifically get into it about this. And I, I won't, but... Uh, Shout out to her and look at, we made it. We made it and I made it through that uh, without getting overly emotional. I've already gotten overly emotional over the week and I guarantee it's not done for today. Oh, yeah. Um, my second shout out of the yeah. day, which beautifully you already hit on oh. today, but I planned on, uh, I wrote some notes to uh, bring it up, but you had already brought it up for me. My second shout out of the day is to my dear co-host, Miss Lauren Ash. Hey! Now, I'm glad she mentioned it, because I don't believe many people realize she has a full-time job <laughs> outside of this. Yeah. So she will go and do, uh, like, during Superstore, it was like 14, 16-hour days. And then Sometimes, come home yeah. on a Friday night, and sit in front of a Zoom call with this Yahoo over here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I'm really glad you brought it up because I feel like a lot of people don't realize it. And then the amount of work that goes into this show and then the amount of work that goes into the merch and then dealing with the merch behind the scenes and all of that, it's wild. So I was just going to say shout out to you and I appreciate all of your work and I want you to know that you are seen and I hope that the dear listeners see as well, because my God, this woman has been working for hours. And instead of coming home and going to bed, she has to slap on a true crime and cocktail shirt and sit here and listen to me drone on uh, for a couple of hours. And you know what I did in comparison leading up in the hours leading up to this? I ate string cheese and I watched Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> that Listen, is what I did. That's a that dream. That's a dream yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, making my way through the new ones. Um, but yeah, so my point is just you do a lot. So Thank I just you. hope I just hope that people know that. You know? I, I appreciate that. That's very meaningful to me. Thank you for saying that. Um and yeah, when this is done, I'll sleep for maybe four hours and I'll get up and do it all again. I mean, we won't record tomorrow night, but I'll work the work day. Um, yes. You know, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, but sometimes you start to lose it. <laughs> it can be draining. <laughs> it's draining. It's dra it's mentally yes. draining. It is mentally draining for sure. For sure, for oh, sure. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Because if you think I'm not exhausted after just recording, I mean, you're dead wrong. Yeah. And then there's the whole like prep for the record. And then tomorrow I got to get up early and 
get kids out the door for school and then I gotta go for groceries, but I have to time it a certain way because my son's car isn't really working very well, so he's going to need to use it to get to school. It's a thing. So it's just never-ending, you know? It's never-ending. Yeah. Well, listen, that's very that's very sweet of you and very meaningful to me, so I appreciate that shout-out. Thank you. Way! We appreciate you. And yes, dear listeners, I'm now speaking for all of us as a collective we. <laughs> I'll take it. I will take it. Um, Well, listen, that makes me feel bad because then I was going to segue into like the one other thing I wanted to talk about, which was Matthew Perry being a bit of a dick. Oh, no. (laughs) Nothing would make me happier. Oh, gosh. Well, listen, dear listeners, if you're not up to speed, I'll I'll get you up to speed real quick because, you know, the opening to this podcast sometimes, you know, we're basically the opening of the show is basically a pop culture podcast (laughs) at this point and we love it. (laughs) Anyway, it is. So Matthew Perry has released a memoir or excuse me, it's upcoming. It hasn't come out yet, but it's called Friends, Lovers and the Big Terrible Thing. And he tells a lot of stories in there. Did you know he also tells a story where he outs Valerie Bertinelli cheating on her husband with him? Just a make out, apparently. But I was like, did she know ahead of time you were putting that in the book? I think she just released a book, didn't she? I think she did, but she was with her now husband at the time as well. And according to his story, her husband was passed out in the room at the time. It's a whole thing. I was like, I hope she knew. I think legally you're supposed to, if you're naming the person by name, You're supposed to inform them and they have to give consent. I don't know. I was like, wow, you could tell that same story, but you could have left them nameless regardless. Um, Mm. It seems that he's really, he's really putting it out there. And I want to say this. Mm. I, um, I only had very personally, uh, I'd only met him once. I, I screen tested for his show, The Odd Couple on CBS. I did not get the role, uh, which is fine. Uh, We did have a, a, audition together. It was the worst audition of my life. It was not his fault. It had nothing to do with him. It just happened to be the worst one of my life. Sometimes sometimes they're fantastic. Sometimes sure. they're not. That sure. was not. <laughs> I think maybe anyway. that was the universe's way of making you not linked to him in any way. Well, now I'm starting to wonder because yeah. what I needed to talk about was in this book, and this is the big piece of news right now, uh, at two different points in the memoir, He brings up Keanu Reeves as an example um, when he's saying, why is it that talented actors and original thinkers like River Phoenix and Chris Farley had tragic deaths, but Keanu Reeves is still alive? So he kind of, here's the thing. First thing I'm going to tell you right right now. He made the same joke twice. And as somebody who comes from a world of comedy, you don't make the same joke twice. You're just going no. back to the same well. Unless you're doing it so there's a third time and there's a payoff and then you're, you know what I mean? Like, sure. You're doing a callback or whatever. But it feels like, again, it was just really kind of coming against him. Um, it, and and again, I was like, I don't know. Uh, it, one of the quotes, I punched a hole through Jennifer Aniston's dressing room wall when I found out. This is about Chris Farley's death. Keanu Reeves walks among us. Meaning, basically, it's like Chris Farley's dead, but but Keanu's still alive. And mm-hmm. I would like to now read a text message I sent to Christy earlier. <laughs> so, Matthew Perry since has addressed this publicly saying, I just chose a random name. I should have said my own name. And this is, this is the text 
that I sent to Christy earlier today. Mm-hmm. He wasn't choosing a random name. He was playing on the 90s trope that Keanu was a bad actor, something that has been dispelled since then as he has amassed a stunning catalog of work. And while Mr. Perry writes about spending $9 million on drugs and rehab to get off of those drugs, I will remind the court that Keanu gave half of one of his Matrix checks to the entire crew that worked on that movie. Not only is Mr. Reeves a celebrated actor and a gift to the craft of acting, he will be remembered for his philanthropy, generosity, and kindness of spirit, three things I have never heard associated with the name Mr. Matthew Perry. The prosecution rests. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I stand by all of that. Listen, I was like, dude, rude. Keanu Reeves is just like, I gotta say a couple things here. I would ne- I never speak negatively about almost anybody. For me to speak sure. negatively about anybody, it's got to really rub me. And here's why this rubs me. Up until now, I have no problem with Matthew Perry. Again, my sure. only interaction with him, he seemed very nice. But here's my issue with this. First of all, again, I think it's an old joke. I think Keanu, the Bill and Ted Keanu, was an easy target. People like sure. to say that, you know, uh, the way that he talks – the kind of intonation of his voice is funny, all of the above. But again, as I stated in that very eloquently written uh, closing argument, mm-hmm. um, he's proven to this point, in my opinion, he's a fabulous actor. And it doesn't matter how the cadence of his voice sounds. That's just the cadence of his voice. And it doesn't mean that he can't convey emotion and tragedy and joy and all of the above. It's... it's. Yeah. He's very gifted and talented. I honestly think he's he's one of the best actors of our generation. If yes. you go back to early films, also, by the way, if you want to re- reference River Phoenix, go back and watch My Own Private Idaho, because that's also a stunning performance from Keanu Reeves. A stunning performance from F- River Phoenix as well. But again, to me, it's like, it's just such a kind of myopic way of, of addressing Keanu Reeves who I will also then add, on top of him being so talented, is known to be so kind, is known to be so generous. He is the man where there is those secret cell phone videos of him giving up his seat on the subway to women. There is all of this proof that he has never asked for of the money he's given, the things that he's done, the generosity. And then the last thing I will say, because you've Mm -hmm. come for Keanu and then I come for you. Of course is I I will just gently remind the man also went through a horrific tragedy, lost a loved one, lost an unborn child, and yet he still comes, works, gives amazing performances, and also shows massive generosity, both uh, monetarily and of spirit and kindness. And that, to me at the end of the day, goes, he's untouchable, Perry. Sorry. It's classless. That's my opinion. Yes! Oh, yes. Now look, in uh, the Friends era, when it first began, I was like, Joey's too pretty. God, I love Chandler. He makes me laugh. Oh, absolutely. And then Chandler kind of took a turn. I think it's around the time the drugs kicked in. Um, I still like Chandler, but Joey just like, I don't know if he just got so much funnier. Uh, but Joey then just did it for me. Um, and now 
I'm embarrassed to say that Chandler was ever something I was interested in. I, it's also, the, I mean, a hell yes to everything that you said. And I'm only going to follow that with, you have the audacity to comment about the death of River Phoenix as though you were anywhere as close to him as Keanu was. Yeah. Fuck right off, man. At this point, I'm like, did he do this on purpose? Because people would start talking about it and people would buy his book because otherwise it's just going to under the radar and no one's really going to pay attention. But now he gets all this free press because he was being an absolute dick. But to your point, I don't care if it was for the sake of publicity. I would be angrier if it was. Um, But classless. Classless. Because also the argument that he's making, and I don't want to think for a second anybody thinks that I'm downplaying the deaths of River Phoenix and Chris Farley. Massive losses. Heartbreaking losses. I am not in any way suggesting that he's not right to say that they are massive losses. But his argument works if you say something like the following. How is it that we lose these amazing beacons of light when the Unabomber walks the earth? That's yep. a statement you could make. I'm, yep. I'm, you know what I'm saying? That's a statement you can make where it's someone who devoted their life to maiming and hurting and killing people. Yeah. That's, that can kind of fit in. And I understand that mentality where it's like, it, there's no justice is, is kind of that meant that, that argument where it's like, sure. we lose these amazing, um, talents, but then there's these horrific, uh, demon type people uh, that continue um, to live, and and how is that fair? Well, a couple of things. First of all, I mean, there's a million ways you can slice this. One, uh, life, the, the human experience is not fair. It's inherently unfair. That's part of the of human course. experience, and and oftentimes you live long enough to learn that, um, <laughs> I think. But also, even that, I'm like, I don't think that losing someone means therefore, oh, let's compare that to all the people that should have died instead. Yeah. And and then the bigger point being is that, and then if you feel you must make that comparison, choose a monster. Choose a known monster. Yep. You know what I'm saying? That's still alive. That, I guess. But to choose Keanu. Oh, yeah. Sweet, sweet, beautiful, and I say beautiful in terms of soul. Beautiful Keanu. I can't. It hurts. And and again, I never speak negatively. If you've ever listened to this show, the only people I speak negatively about are people who I think are really, really egregious. And I'm sorry. I think this is really egregious. And I I agree with you that it's like, it's so egregious, it almost feels like, were you just doing it to get some press? Because it's like, who? No one flagged this? No yeah. one on your team was like, hey, bro, read the book, read the read the manuscript. It's awesome. Maybe we don't attack Keanu. Yeah. Someone who's so beloved in Hollywood, has really mm-hmm. only ever done good, is really mm-hmm. known by fans as being a really good person. Maybe it's yeah. not him. Yeah, I have a lot of questions. Um, no, uh, just the one um, for his editor. And that question is, how? How? How did you go, How? you know what? I'll let it slide twice. Twice? Yeah. 
And, and again, also the fact that in there, I do believe somewhere in that cl- little uh, snippet, Perry has the balls to, like, compare himself to River Phoenix. Was it River Phoenix? Or was it somebody else? It was like a... Um, I held my own in scenes with him. Stop it. And look, Matthew, because you've got my backup about Keanu, I'm going to say it, something I've felt for years that I never thought I could say. You're one note. <laughs> you could do a comedy? Sure. A rom-com? Sure. Yep. Can you do action or horror? No. You know who can? Fucking Keanu Reeves. You know what else Keanu Reeves can do? Comedy and rom-coms. Yep, we've seen him do it all. So take a number and sit at the back where you belong. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I'm well, so yeah. angry. I know. Don't, it really upset don't. me too. I think it's just, well, look, if there's anything, again, if you're an OG listener of this show, you know, if there's anything that annoys the two of us, it's injustice. And this yes. honestly to me is an injustice because it's just not, it's, it's punching down. Like it's like, that's a term we we use in the comedy world where it's like you don't make fun of people who are inherently good. You don't make fun of people yeah. who are struggling. You don't make fun you make fun of the people who are um who have more power than you in in terms of like, you know, you make fun of politicians. You make fun of sure. these are the things again, and I'm talking in broad comedy terms. You don't make fun of the man who who literally is is just known for um for being so lovable. Like, you just don't. It's it's also no. just makes you look dumb anyway. Yes, because um, I guarantee somebody is going to stick a microphone in Keanu's face yep. and be like, oh, yes. what are your thoughts? And he's going to end up saying something beautiful like, yep. oh, I thought Friends was, uh, Friends was great. Absolutely. Yeah, everybody's got their own opinion. Yep. And what I want him to do is go full John Wick and just get so angry, not kill him. But just scare him enough that he pees himself. Yep. That's, That's the other thing. John Wick, there's a whole team of like trainers and and stunt people and all of the above. And Keanu spent like an exorbitant amount of money buying them all these engraved Rolexes where it was, I can't remember what it said, what the specific thing was, but it was basically for this like team of guys that had worked together really hard and really closely for an amount of time. Mm-hmm. And how beautiful. He doesn't have yep. to do that. That's the thing, right? Like... And those are the kind of people you meet, or I'll say I've met on my sure. journey in Hollywood, is the people who go out of their way uh, and don't have to, mm-hmm. and everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think we just look. saw some examples of both of those categories. <laughs> <laughs> and look, I'll say it. Matthew Perry holding a gun in a movie, I don't buy it. Keanu holding a gun in a movie? I'm into it in a way that I think I've got a problem. <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, she needs some alone time. I get it. I get yeah. It. Yeah. Anyway. Like, fear it, but also so hot. Yeah. Matthew yeah, yeah. Perry, I wouldn't, I'd glance at him and go, I bet the safety's on, and then keep walking like it's, yeah. And listen, we don't need to continue to, to belabor it any further, but no. I, I, uh, I am excited to just, um, Give Keanu yet another shout out because yes, never heard a bad story. No, never heard a bad story. Didn't deserve the shade. Didn't deserve it. Truly, nope. just didn't deserve it. No. So, 
But alas, here we are. Let's get into the episode. Um, Unsolved Mysteries, mystery at mile marker 45. If you haven't watched already, don't worry. We're going to give you a synopsis and we're going to get into all of it. And you know, before we do get into it, I just want to give a very quick disclaimer. This is a case that I think there is a lot of high emotion surrounding. There's obviously a lot of press around it right now with this episode and all of the above. And we have encountered this in the past with some of the cases that we have encountered on this show. Um, The cases like this are the ones that have the large Reddit followings. A lot of people get very passionate online. And I just want to just take a very quick second and remind everybody listening, we are talking about real life people. We're talking about real life people who have died. We are talking about real life people who have died that leave behind loved ones that can potentially see and hear and read all of the above. And I know that anything goes on Reddit. Believe me. Trust me. We know that. But we just I just wanted to say, let's let's try and keep this in mind that we approach this from a place of trying to present as much of the facts, all of the facts as unbiasedly as possible and not again for entertainment as much as we're doing it for for awareness and trying again ultimately again like everyone's dream i think in terms of true crime is to try and solve these cases and try and get answers and all of the above so my plea to anybody listening is to just be respectful in the comments uh online on on our socials and all of the above be respectful to each other. Please be respectful to us. Again, we have only ever treated every case that we've talked about with respect because that is uh, we have the utmost respect for this subject matter, for the victims and the victims' families. And I know that it can be a passionate uh, kind of situation and topic. Um, but I just wanted to give that reminder again because sometimes we can see things go dip into another world where people can kind of get combative and whatnot. And let's just all try and remember that we all need to be on the same team. And the team is that we ultimately want to get this solved. And, uh, you know, whether or not that will ever happen, if we could ever even lend a slight hand in that happening, what an honor that would be. And that is our true intention. Um, And that is who we are. And I just want to remind, again, especially if you're new to us and you're coming in now, that's always where we – that's the place that we approach all of these things from. And, uh, yeah, just just remember that again when we're we're dealing on social media because sometimes, uh, especially in the past, we've – We've dealt with cases that are, I think, are similar to this and have a similar mm-hmm. kind of fervor on the internet to this, and it can get, sure. it can get, you know, intense and um, uh, unfortunate. So let's yeah. just approach it that way, and remember, we are all on the same team, and we don't, uh, we don't have to be combative. That's my request and plea. Yeah. That being said, let's get into it. There's lots to talk about. This is a truly confounding one, and if you haven't watched it yet, uh, no worries, because I'm going to give you a bit of a backstory. Unsolved Mysteries is back with their third season, and to start it off, we are looking at the case of 18-year-old Tiffany Valiante. Did I do that right? Um, The episode, I believe, said Valenti. Valenti. Thank you very much. Tiffany Valenti, who was struck, struck by a train in July 2015. The investigators were quick to rule Tiffany's death a suicide. However... Some things don't add up. To get to the train tracks, Tiffany would have walked miles without shoes, and yet she had no injuries to the bottom of her feet. 
And to this day, the shorts that Tiffany was last seen wearing have never been found. So what happened to Tiffany Valente? And how did Tiffany get to the train tracks? Did she choose to go on her own? Or did someone use the train to cover up Tiffany's real cause of death? Christy Oxborough investigates. Yeah, look, uh, we we watched um, the first three episodes when they yes. came out. Of course yes. we did. We were so excited about it. Um, and then... We kind of weren't sure which way to go, and that's when the Instagram poll happened, just out of curiosity, see what people think. And 53% chose this one. And I and yeah, I know people are going to be like, how come you just did the one poll? And how come? It was just like, I was we just hadn't, curious, and yep. then it just kind of happened. And and then it was like, oh, maybe that's we should, maybe this makes sense then, if this feels, yeah, it was very spontaneous. Yes. Because um, honestly, we were just not sure what direction to go to first because usually they release all of them in one so you kind of have a whole bunch to pick from and you can kind of go wherever you want to go and i'll say it i wish all of them had dropped the same day i understand why they didn't but you know uh it is what it is so my disclaimer for this uh this episode will contain mentions of sexual assault self-harm, and suicide, so trigger warning for those who need it. In the 1980s, Diane Schmidtke, I believe is how you pronounce it, my apologies if it's not, uh, had two daughters, Jessica in November 1983 and Crystal in August 1985. While a single mother, Diane met Stephen Valente in 1989. The couple developed a relationship quickly and soon married and settled down in May's Landing, New Jersey. Stephen was a maintenance worker for the state of New Jersey, and Diane was an administrative assistant for a school district. Seven years later, they were surprised but excited to learn that Diane was pregnant. And on March 3, 1997, Tiffany Ida May Valenti was born. Tiffany was a natural-born athlete, she played softball from the age of five or six until her sophomore year in high school, when she gave it up to focus on volleyball, which she had started playing the year before. Tiffany played volleyball for both her school team as well as for the East Close oof, East Coast Crush Club. Try saying that three times fast. Yeah, really. Uh, in June 1997, sorry, that June 1997 should not be correct. <laughs> In June 2015, there we go, Tiffany graduated from Oak Crest High School with plans to attend Mercy College in Dobbs Ferry, New York, in the fall. She had earned five college scholarships for sports and academics and planned to major in criminal justice. Which brings us to the day in question. Sunday, July 12th, 2015. Tiffany spent most of the day at home, with the exception to a moment where she went and bought a lemonade from a local convenience store called Wawa. I've never heard of Wawa, but that seems like it's a big deal in the States, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. In, in some regions, it varies region to region, but yes. Fair enough. Uh, later in the afternoon, Tiffany and her parents headed across the street to a party for Tiffany's cousin, who had just graduated from Holy Spirit High School. Shortly after 9 p.m., Tiffany headed home. 
At 9.15 p.m., one of Tiffany's friends called Tiffany's mother, Diane, and asked if Diane could meet her at the house. Diane and Stephen left the party and went to their house where they were met by Tiffany's friend and the friend's mother. The friend accused Tiffany of using her credit card without asking. The friend claimed that Tiffany bought $300 worth of food and clothes. Tiffany denied it. Diane said that she and Stephen had recently given Tiffany their credit card, so it made no sense for Tiffany to use her friend's card. It is also worth noting that a few months before this incident, Diane and Stephen had caught Tiffany taking money from their bank account, but Tiffany denied using her friend's card, and the friend and her mother left at 9.24 p.m. After they left, Diane and Tiffany started searching Tiffany's car, looking for the friend's card. According to the Daily Beast, Diane said that she saw Tiffany slip the card into her back pocket. Tiffany then admitted that she had in fact used the card, although Diane says the actual amount was closer to $86 as opposed to $300. And she, Diane said that she found receipts in uh, Tiffany's room later that confirmed it was closer to $86. Diane said, quote, well, now I'm going to have to tell your dad. So she went inside to get Stephen, and when they came out a minute later, Tiffany was gone. Tiffany was last seen on a deer camera in the Valenti's yard at 9.28 p.m. Stephen, Diane, and the family dog Tucker were seen on the same camera at 9.29 p.m., but they saw no sign of Tiffany. The photo, uh, which will be on our socials, but uh, it was shown on Unsolved Mysteries, and Unsolved Mysteries kind of panned the camera to the right and zoomed in on what could be potentially headlights could also be like a light at the end of someone's driveway, something like that. Um, the show posted a bunch of photos publicly, but that specific photo has been cropped. So you can't see the lights at all, which I find interesting. Interesting. Um, the photo of Tiffany's parents which was taken just one minute after the photo of Tiffany, was posted on the Unsolved Mysteries site, but not cropped in any way. So you can see like the whole one side to the other kind of thing. But these potential headlights made Tiffany's family think that maybe Tiffany entered a vehicle at the end of their driveway. They tried calling Tiffany's phone, but got no answer. Diane called the friend who had just been at their house and told her that Tiffany had run away. The friend returned to their house with two other girls to help look for Tiffany. Tiffany's half-sisters, Jessica and Crystal, joined in the search, as did Stephen's brother, Michael. The family checked the surrounding woods and area on quad bikes. Around 11 p.m., Stephen found Tiffany's cell phone about five to eight feet from the road at the end of their driveway on Mannheim Avenue. The family agreed that this was suspicious as Tiffany never went anywhere without her cell phone, and that the fact that she had recently purchased a special phone case so she could use her phone in the shower showed how little she ever put the phone down. With still no sign of Tiffany at midnight, the family called off the search and notified the police. During his own search, Michael Valenti was driving over the tracks at Pomona Road, when he noticed police lights flashing further down the tracks around 1.30 a.m. He followed the lights and saw a train stopped with police swarming the area. 
Michael asked what was happening, and an officer told him that someone had been hit by the train at 11.07 p.m. At 11.52 p.m., nurse, a nurse practitioner arrived and officially announced the victim dead at midnight. A medical examiner arrived on scene at 12.47 a.m. Michael mentioned that his niece was missing, and after giving a brief description of Tiffany and the clothing that she was last seen wearing, the officer he spoke to said, quote, His description was a tentative match for the female victim struck by the train. Michael Valenti officially identified the body, and Tiffany's parents were notified at 2.41 a.m. Tiffany was just 18 years old at the time. She was described as loving, kind, energetic, and funny. Now, trigger warning, as I'm going to get into the autopsy, and it is graphic. Okay. There were extensive crushing injuries covering the entire body, especially the chest, lower abdomen, face, and head. All four limbs had been fractured and, quote, ripped from the torso. Specifically, the right leg had been cut off at the hip joint and the right forearm had been cut off at the upper arm. According to the toxicology report, there were no drugs or alcohol in Tiffany's system at the time of her death. The autopsy lasted just 50 minutes, which feels very short to me. Uh, Tiffany's cause of death was determined to be multiple traumatic injuries. The coroner determined the manner of death to be suicide. Tiffany's parents didn't want to believe it, but didn't feel they had any other options, so Tiffany's body was cremated. Despite her last being seen wearing a black t-shirt, jean shorts, a headband, and shoes, when Tiffany's body was found, she was only wearing a bra and underwear. Her shirt was later found near the tracks, but as of November 1st, 2022, Tiffany's shorts have never been found. On August 2nd, about three weeks after Tiffany's death, her mother Diane was walking about a mile from her home when she spotted Tiffany's shoes and headband in the woods, about nine feet from Tilton Road, which is about two miles or 3.2 kilometers from the crash site. The shoes were brand new, just like Tiffany's, which she had worn for the first time to her cousin's party that day. The shoes were almost side by side, as if they had been specifically placed that way, and the headband was about 10 feet away. 11 feet from the headband was a plastic yellow key tag that kind of looked like the sort of thing that um, a car dealership would put on your keys if you had to leave your car at a dealership to like be serviced or something. Uh, Diane also found a sweatshirt about 11 feet from the key tag and about 31 feet from Tiffany's shoes. The sweatshirt has the name Wilkes across the chest, which is the name of the uh, university in Pennsylvania, about 161 miles or 259 kilometers north of May's Landing. According to Unsolved Mysteries, no one in the family recognized the sweatshirt. Diane phoned her husband, who arrived at the area and called the police. Photos were taken of the scene, and the items were collected. Inter investigators interviewed Diane and Stephen three days later, but by then the key tag had gone missing. It is unsure if either the key tag or the sweatshirt were connected in any way to Tiffany. Uh, there was also a red iron-on letter A 
uh, found near the shoes. But again, we don't know if that's connected to the case or not. Um, also something worth noting, the sweatshirt as well as Tiffany's headband and shoes were never tested. But it's not the only items in this case that weren't tested. At the impact site, Tiffany's uncle Michael Valenti found an axe with red markings near the point of impact. The police collected the axe as evidence, but lost it before it could ever be tested. So we'll never know if the axe was connected to Tiffany's death or not. And her uncle found that, sorry? Yes. Uh, A knife was found near the tracks, but based on the photos, it appears to be quite rusted. So I don't believe it was connected to this in any way, but, I mean, you never know. Uh, A white towel was also found at the scene that had red marks on it. An independent lab tested the towel and found traces of human blood from an unknown male. Unfortunately, the sample was contaminated, so it was not possible to get any DNA. Also near the section where Tiffany was hit by the train, there is a large, dark stain on the tracks. It looks like it very well could be blood, especially if Tiffany had been lying on the tracks and was first hit in that exact spot. But the stain was never tested in any way. And for all those who are screaming about the repeated errors of the investigators, I will point out the main investigators of the case were from the New Jersey Transit Police, meaning the officers had a lot less experience when it came to investigating homicides. The train in question was a transit train number 4693, which was traveling 62 miles or 100 kilometers southeast from Philadelphia to Atlantic City on the Atlantic City Rail Line. There were 56 passengers on board at the time, and according to the Transit Police initial report, no passengers were injured. After arriving on scene, an officer requested an additional train to transfer the passengers. According to the New Jersey Transit preliminary major incident report, the horn, lights, and bell were all used at the time of the collision. The engineer blew the horn, rang the bell, and put the train into emergency brake application. The engineer said the person, quote, dove in front of the train. The direction was east to west. The only witnesses listed were, quote, just both both engineers. Those engineers included apprentice engineer Marvin Olivares and supervising engineer Wayne Daniels. Marvin had been on the job for just over a year at that point, and on the night in question, he was at the controls. When first questioned by police, Marvin said Tiffany darted out from the woods and ran onto the track. But when Marvin was asked for a sworn statement under oath 10 days later, his story changed. Now, his it is a very, very long statement, so I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but... On July 22nd, 2015, Marvin said, and I quote, It was limited visibility. It was nighttime, approximately 11 p.m., and I remember passing mile post 44. I ended up seeing something off on the east side in the distance. It was approximately maybe like half a mile to a quarter mile away. It was pretty far away. I couldn't discern what it was specifically. 
I had all of my lights on. I had my headlights on bright and my auxiliary lights as bright as well. And I blew my horn just to see if the thing would move or whatever it was. As I come closer, approximately a quarter of a mile away or a little closer than that, I notice it was in fact a human being in a crouched position in darker clothing. So I blew my horn initially, a really long horn, just to get their attention. I was traveling approximately 80 miles per hour, maximum authorized speed. As I'm getting closer, the individual in black clothing stands up. I immediately recognize that it's a female. I keep blowing my horn. As I'm approaching closer, the individual stands up, faces towards the gauge of the train, sorry, gauge of the track. And as I'm approaching closer, probably within like five seconds of passing her, she jumps. She dives in front of the train to the lower portion of the cab car. I'm still blowing my horn. I shout immediately because, you know, it was my first experience and we hit her. I see matter go everywhere. And then the pl- and then I placed the train immediately into emergency brake application. So Marvin said he stopped the train, called dispatch, and then filled out a preliminary report. He said he didn't see anyone else in the area and that when he first saw Tiffany, she was maybe 15 to 20 feet to the left of the track, wearing light black clothing, black shorts, and a black t-shirt. A New Jersey spokesperson released a statement saying that Tiffany, quote, was standing on the train tracks near Tilton Road in Galloway Township, but did not move when the train's engineer sounded the horn and applied emergency brakes. Wayne, the supervising engineer, told police that he, quote, instructed the apprentice engineer to blow the horn and ring the bell as he put the train into emergency brake application. But when Wayne was interviewed under oath days later, he admitted he had his back to the cab at the time of the collision as he was talking to the conductor. So Wayne told police that he told Marvin to ring the bell, and Marvin told police that he did in fact ring the bell. But according to the train's black box, no one rang the bell. Interesting. The black box did verify the train had high beam lights on at the time, and it was traveling at 80 miles per hour, or about 130 kilometers per hour. The train traveled southeast on the Atlantic City rail line and sounded the horn at the Cologne Avenue crossing before coming to a stop at mile marker 45.3. From the time the horn started... The train traveled 2,063 feet before it stopped. Based on this information, it is more likely the engineer didn't spot Tiffany until she was about 235 feet from the train, not the quarter mile that Marvin claimed in his statements. And for those who don't know the conversion, because I did not, um, a quarter mile is roughly 1,320 feet which is a far cry from 235 feet. Yeah. So just to sum up quickly for you, the engineer's versions of events. In his first statement, Marvin said Tiffany darted out from the woods and ran onto the tracks. In his second statement, Marvin said he didn't see Tiffany until the train was right on top of her. And then in a third statement he gave, which was conducted under oath, Marvin said he spotted Tiffany half a mile away and that she was crouched beside the tracks before standing up 
and then diving in front of the train. All very different versions of events. Now, I understand that the apprentice engineer went through a trauma, especially being his first time that anything like that happened, and that could easily affect his memory. But I'm just immediately skeptical of why both engineers originally lied to say that they had both witnessed the incident when, in fact, only one of them had. I don't believe either man wanted to intentionally harm Tiffany in any way. I just think maybe they were concerned they might get some sort of blame for her death if it came out that they weren't paying attention. Yeah, I think that you might be right on that. Um, wow, very interesting. Very interesting. The black box tells the tale, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, let's take a quick break, get another drink, hit the can, and then we've got so much more to get into on this Unsolved Mysteries Mystery at Mile Marker 45 episode of True Crime and Cocktails. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing the mystery at mile marker 45 episode of season three of the new Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. Uh, listen, Christy's taking us through everything that is shown in the episode. She's giving us some more yeah. details that weren't shown in the episode. What else you got for us? Well, as you may recall, because it wasn't that long ago, um, yep. I mentioned... During the autopsy, the coroner determined that Tiffany's manner of death was suicide. Yes. But Tiffany's family was adamant that Tiffany did not take her own life. So they filed a civil complaint regarding the case in 2017. Retired medical examiner H. Louise Hausman, who for um, the sake of uh, keeping things simple, I'm going to refer to her as Louise. Great. From now on. A little familiar, but I got to say, you'll never hear this, but Louise, you're a badass. <laughs> so just know it. Just know it. Very matter of fact, very like, this is not right. And I'm like, good for you, Louise, for speaking out. Yes. Uh, so Louise was brought in to do an independent, ex as a, was brought in, sorry, as an independent expert 
to assess the original investigation. In the end, Louise submitted a 30-page report pointing out all the errors throughout the original investigation. So we're going to go over some of those errors. Such as, no one conducted a psychological autopsy on Tiffany, um, which takes information collected from the victim's friends and family, as well as medical records, to determine the victim's mental state of mind at the time of their death. Those are routinely done after potential suicides. Tiffany's shirt, which was found at the scene, but was not on the body, uh, had been placed in a plastic bag and knotted closed. So by the time the new investigation started, the shirt was covered in mold and unusable for testing. That's wild. Also, putting it in a plastic bag. No. <laughs> Paper bag. But neither Yeah, I mean, again, wow. Yeah. Uh, the white towel that was found to have an unknown male's blood on it was not properly sealed, initialed, or dated, therefore couldn't be tested the second time around. Louise's report stated that most of the evidence hadn't been collected correctly, as many were missing proper seals and information such as the date and location the item was collected and the initials of the person who collected it. Louise also pointed out other red flags in the investigation, such as the fact that the officers took six days before learning that the engineers had contradictory statements and the supervisory, supervising engineer wasn't actually a witness at all, or the fact that the student engineer, who admitted to being the one behind the controls, was never tested for drugs or alcohol, which is protocol regarding accidents under the Federal Railroad Administration policy. Yes! Investigators waited three weeks before interviewing Tiffany's family. And the only reason the police spoke to her family at all was because Tiffany's mother had found the missing shoes. And I'm not saying anything, but knowing that, is it possible the shoes and headband were placed there so police would take the case seriously? Ah, uh, interesting. And speaking of Tiffany's shoes... In 2020, Tiffany's parents paid to have the items tested by an independent lab, since the original investigators didn't bother to test them at all. Unfortunately, the chain of custody had been broken and testing would have been useless. Louise's report determined, quote, There are enough unanswered questions, false statements, conflicting accounts regarding this fatality, and incomplete investigative information, as well as extremely important evidence that was discovered since the night of Tiffany's death, which leads me to the conclusion that the death certificate should be amended from suicide to undetermined. Yeah. Based on Louise's report, investigators brought in Dr. Donald Jason, who has been in the practice of medicine for nearly 50 years, uh, to look over the original autopsy. Now, since Tiffany's body had been cremated, the report was all that Donald had to go on. Donald said that he had done between 10 and 20,000 autopsies over the course of his career, and maybe a hundred or so involved a victim being hit by a train. And based on his expertise, Donald finds it, quote, very improbable 
that Tiffany would walk several miles to end her life when there were, quote, closer and easier ways to do it. Donald also suggested that listening, listing Tiffany's death as a suicide would mean that the New Jersey Transit was off the hook. If they were found potentially negligent, they would end up paying huge fines or have to deal with criminal charges. A quote from Donald. I think it's more probable that she was running away from somebody and trying to escape, so I would call that either an accident or a homicide, but certainly not a suicide. In my report, I concluded it's probably safest just to call it undetermined because we don't know the facts yet, and they are never really fully investigating anything other than suicide. And according to Donald, since the transit police investigated Tiffany's case as a suicide, quote, this bias negatively affected the way in which the scene was processed by all members of the team, both responding police and medical examiner's staff. Donald's report stated that the investigators violated a basic tenet of death scene investigation, which is to, quote, treat the location as a crime scene until assessed and determined to be otherwise. His report continued to point out flaws in the investigation, such as the fact that the medical examiner who arrived on scene didn't take charge of the remains at the scene, leaving processing and recovery to the New Jersey Transit Police. This led to the evidence being disorganized and undocumented, including photos taken without number cards, items packaged together without any indication of where they were actually found. They didn't scientifically determine the identity of the deceased. As there was no dental or fingerprint comparison even attempted, investigators identified Tiffany solely based on Michael Valenti's visual recognition. And I will remind you, the body was so mangled that there were no visible features remaining. DNA was obtained from blood that was found on a bracelet on Tiffany's wrist. No blood or tissue samples were tested from the actual remains, and no attempt was made to compare that DNA to Tiffany's parents. What? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I... Yep. Wow. There's just, okay. there's a lot of questions. A lot of questions. Uh, Donald also pointed out that the original autopsy didn't examine the heart or any organs, saying, quote, it is curious that the stomach was sufficiently identifiable to allow submission of stomach contents, yet the heart was not described to rule out heart disease or pre-mortem injury. The original coroner also didn't complete uh, radiography of the rema recovered remains, which is traditionally used to complement a forensic autopsy as it serves to document metallic bullet fragments, foreign bodies, fractures, and injury patterns. Radiography can also be used to help determine a victim's identity when fingerprinting or DNA analysis is not possible. The original coroner didn't do a reconstruction to determine if it was possible for someone to have pushed Tiffany onto the tracks or to determine if the pattern of Tiffany's injuries were consistent with having been in a crouched position beside the rail or a jumping or diving position when she was struck. 
Donald concluded that it was more possible, more than possible that the victim may have been sleeping or already dead when struck by the train. He added, quote, I have personally investigated a death which turned out to be a murder by strangulation in which the victim's body was placed with her neck on a railroad track. Her body below the, below the neck was outside the tracks. Which leads me to a second case within a case side note. Please. Now, I don't know if this is the actual case that Donald was referring to, but it is very close, and I thought it would be worth noting based on the main case that we are talking about here today. The victim's name was Sherry Morrow. But to spare any confusion, I'm talking Sherry as in S-H-E-R-I, not S-H-E-R-R-Y. Why make that distinction? Because Sherry with a Y, Morrow, was a victim of serial killer Robert Hansen, who hunted, abducted, raped, and murdered at least 17 women between 1971 and 1983 near and in and around Anchorage, Alaska. Hansen was known in the media as the Butcher Baker and was said to have hunted many of his victims. Hansen was sentenced to 461 years in prison without the possibility of parole. That's somebody that Matthew Perry could have been like, why River Phoenix when that asshole is yep, around? You know? that's, the, that's the one. If you, if you feel the need, if you feel yeah. the need, that's the one. That's one I'll give you. I'll give you that yep. one, Perry. Not yep. sweet, sweet Keanu. Nope. Nope. So the Sherry Morrow that I am referring to was a 24-year-old outgoing Army veteran who was struck by a freight train on December 5th, 1993 in Crestview, Florida. That night, Sherry and her husband, John Moore, hosted a party at their home. John admitted to detectives that he and Sherry had been going through a rough patch in their marriage and said that during the party, they took a walk to talk about it. After the walk, John said he returned home and Sherry went to stay with a friend. Around 4 a.m., police responded to a call that a woman had been struck by a train. According to the autopsy, Sherry suffered skull and rib fractures. The uh, toxicology report found that Sherry's blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit. Investigators believed either her death was an alcohol-fueled accident or potentially a suicide. But Sherry's friends said that was impossible. Sherry did not drink alcohol. Then, days later, on December 10th, the medical examiner admitted they'd made an error and that Sherry's blood alcohol level was actually zero. Shut up! Yeah. Investigators looked further into Sherry's husband, John. It turned out he had at least two girlfriends, one of which who attended the party that very night that Sherry had died. Sherry had filed for divorce, and investigators said that John, quote, basically wanted to live his life the way he wanted to live it. And for whatever reason, Sherry's case was closed and her death was ruled a suicide. Lieutenant Wayne Grandstaff Sr., who worked the case, said, quote, the evidence custodian brought me the evidence bag that I had turned in. But Wayne believed it was too soon to dispose of the evidence, so he just put that bag in the trunk of his patrol car. But look, I'm going to say it. Kudos to that man. 
because thanks to him for actually saving that, they got the chance to retest it. So kudos to you, Lieutenant, for trusting your gut. Because in 1995, a witness from the party came forward to say he had spoken with John after that walk with Sherry, and John's hand was injured, and his knuckles were really red. The witness asked John about it, and John said, quote, Well, when we were arguing, I got mad and I hit a stop sign. Thanks to the witness, Sherry's case was reopened, her body was exhumed, and a second medical examiner determined that Sherry had been strangled before she was hit by a train. John Moore was arrested for strangling Sherry and laying her body on the train tracks. In 1999, he was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. He, of course, denies it. Right. Apparently, it was going to be first-degree murder, but only 11 of the 12 jurors could agree on the conviction, so it got changed to second-degree. I also, why did that witness wait? Two years. Yep. But they came forward at all. So yeah. shout out, kudos to them for that. Uh, regarding the new investigation into Tiffany's death in March 2018, after reviewing the reports by Louise Hausman and Dr. Donald Jason, both of which I will remind you, said, this is not a suicide at the bare bones of it, undetermined. There's no way. The New Jersey State Medical Examiner, Andrew Falzon, Falzon, chose to leave Tiffany's manner of death unchanged, which is both wild to me, because again, both of those reports, if he had actually read them, because I have, both proved at the very least it should have been undetermined. Proving reasonable doubt, if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So the original coroner and the New Jersey State Medical Examiner both believe that Tiffany's death was a suicide. So we are going to look into it and what Tiffany's mental state was like at the time of her death. Yeah. Now, according to her uncle, Michael, who identified her body, Tiffany, quote, had gotten into some trouble the day before, as well as the day of the party. And her friends stated that she cut herself and was extremely upset. Michael said that uh, Tiffany had been having a lot of disagreements with her mother recently and was distraught over some things that had happened. And yes, there was difficulty at home. Not only were there the money issues, including Tiffany using a friend's credit card without their permission and her parents admitting that Tiffany had stolen money from them. Uh, Tiffany's mother, Diane, said any issues that Tiffany was going through were just normal teenage stuff. And that stuff apparently included big arguments between Tiffany and Diane. According to the Daily Beast, after one of Tiffany's teachers saw bruising on Tiffany's arm, child protection officials visited the Valenti home three times in 2014. Diane admitted that she had punched Tiffany in the arm after an argument. A caseworker with child protection suggested that Diane and Tiffany attend counseling, which they did once. In November 2014, Diane told the therapist she had been very short-tempered lately. The therapist said that they had trouble communicating, but that overall, they had a stable family relationship. Diane blamed her own anxiety for not being able to move on, 
from the incidents. I'm not sure what incidents she's referring to, uh, but she said she would seek therapy for herself if she needed it. A month later, Child Protection Agency closed their case. Two days after the only appointment that they attended, Tiffany's grandfather died, and she chose to not return to therapy. After that, Tiffany allegedly started smoking pot, skipping class, and around Christmas time, stole money from her mother's bank account. To be fair, her parents deny that Tiffany ever skipped school. In early 2015, Tiffany came out as a lesbian, and at first, Diane said that Tiffany was just going through a phase. Diane later said that she and Stephen were accepting of their daughter's sexuality, and Tiffany soon started dating a girl in Philadelphia. They broke up two days before Tiffany's death, and Tiffany immediately started a new relationship with a girl she had met online. Tiffany said that the breakup was amicable, but is it possible that Tiffany was more upset than she let on? Tiffany's friends said that she felt sad about life in general and felt she never truly fit in, but they are adamant that Tiffany never spoke about taking her own life. But we don't always share things that we are going through mentally with other people. Uh, But for the most part, Tiffany seemed excited about her future and about attending Mercy College in just four weeks. Tiffany's family believe that Tiffany got into a vehicle, either voluntarily or not, after she left the house. But on July 16th, four days after Tiffany's death, a canine handler and a bloodhound were brought in to track Tiffany's movements after she had left the house. The dog led its handler 3.2 miles or 5 kilometers from the Valenti's driveway to the general area where Tiffany was hit by the train. So that could mean that Tiffany did walk there, which could mean that she did, in fact, take her own life. But just because Tiffany walked that way doesn't mean she did so voluntarily. It also doesn't mean she did so alone. The dog was looking for one scent. Looking, you know what I mean. Um, The dog wasn't looking for another specific scent. So could Tiffany have been forced that direction by someone with a weapon? Or did she walk that way with someone who she didn't see as a threat? Uh, one of the investigators, that it, when the case was kind of starting to be reopened in 2017, uh, said the bloodhound's results were unreliable, as it had rained heavily in the days between Tiffany's death and when the bloodhound was brought in. And maybe the dog was picking up Tiffany's scent from another time, and not specifically the day she died. She lived in the area. It's possible. But if Tiffany did walk all that way, multiple, multiple miles, she did so barefoot, and yet there were no abrasions to the bottom of her feet. Her feet, which were completely severed from her body, possibly as though she had been lying across the tracks when the train came. And shoes or not, Tiffany walking for miles in the dark seems suspicious as her friends and family say that Tiffany had a severe phobia of the dark. And that particular stretch of track is so tree-covered that even moonlight is not going to get in. So to walk like a mile in just pure darkness, barefoot, feels weird. Uh, And 
if Tiffany did walk that whole way, why has no one ever reported seeing her? May's Landing is a small town, and at the time the population was just over 1900. Tiffany was six foot two and very well known, but despite public pleas, no one has come forward to say they saw her walking in a very high traffic area. And if Tiffany jumped in front of the train, as the engineers had first claimed, that means she managed to dive 15 to 20 feet from a standing position. And yes, Tiffany was tall and a volleyball player, so maybe it's possible? I'm doubtful. Along the tracks is a section of rock that's about one foot wide and built up 18 to 20 inches over the ground. Meaning that Tiffany wouldn't likely have been able to run unless she was going to hop up that to go. So, especially in bare feet on all these rocks, yeah, you're not going to do it. No. Also, especially if you put your bare foot on sharp rocks and go to jump up and you move, you're going to end up with scrapes on your feet. Also, photos of the train suggest that Tiffany was struck by the lower left portion of the train cab. There is no indication that her body reached the center, as only the left half of the bumper shows evidence of the initial impact. According to Louise Hausman's report, quote, human matter is observed only on the left front of the cab with splatter on the upper left side of the cab. Material suggestive of brain tissue is observed on the inside of the left track. Louise also pointed out the large dark stain on the side of the tracks that I mentioned earlier. She said that it is, quote, suggestive of a large amount of blood having been absorbed by that one tie, possibly due to anti-mortem trauma. Louise also mentioned that there was body tissue found in the area on the outside of the left rail at the initial point of impact, which to me, and I'm no expert, yeah, suggests that Tiffany's body was lying there when the train hit her. Yeah. And it wasn't her leaping in front of the train. And did she lie down herself or was she placed there? Well, it seems that for the most part, Tiffany was in a good place mentally, but we don't know what was going on for her in that exact moment, so we can't exclude suicide completely. But, the shoes. Now, they were brand new. She wore them for the first time on the day of her death to that party. Is it possible the shoes were one of the items that Tiffany used her friend's credit card to purchase and after the friend confronted her, Tiffany felt guilty. And as she's walking, she felt even worse about the shoes. And she had to take them off because she couldn't look at them anymore. Sure, that's possible. I just have a hard time believing that she potentially walked miles barefoot and didn't get any cuts or abrasions. Especially with how rocky the area was, especially in and around the train tracks. Near the tracks where Tiffany was struck, there is a clear, vacant lot with cinder block storage buildings and tall grass. Is it possible someone took Tiffany there, possibly to scare her, or maybe with the intention of sexually assaulting her, or maybe as a prank of some sort, and Tiffany got scared and ran away and headed towards the tracks? 
And maybe she heard the train coming, and she got closer to the tracks, thinking her attacker wouldn't risk getting close to the train themselves. And maybe she tripped over the rail, or her attacker moved towards her, and maybe she fell, and maybe she thought she could make it across the tracks before the train. These are also possible, but I'm still more likely to believe she was lying down when that train hit her. Uh... It's so, and if she was lying down, it's possible she was either already dead or dying as she was laying there. Uh, there is a gravel road that runs parallel to the train tracks where she was hit. The road is wide enough for a regular vehicle. So it's possible someone drove Tiffany's body to that spot because it's so secluded and left her on the tracks to cover that her death was actually a murder. But any evidence of motor vehicle on that road would have been compromised by the emergency response vehicles and because they weren't looking for vehicles at the time. They were just, um, they had blinders on for suicide. Uh, also, a reminder, rock star Louise Hausman's report stated that Tiffany's skull was crushed and fragmented and her brain was destroyed. So there was no way to tell if she had been shot prior to being struck by a train. Louise said, quote, it cannot be ruled out that she was forced to that location or assaulted at another location and placed there. But if Tiffany didn't get to those tracks on her own, then who would have put her there? Well, Tiffany's death occurred on a Sunday. Her relationship had ended the Friday before. Is it possible the breakup wasn't as amicable as we all thought? Was the ex-girlfriend angry that Tiffany had started a new relationship already? Well, when Tiffany's shoes and headband were found, her mother found a sweatshirt nearby that she told the show, it was even on Unsolved Mysteries, and it's on their website, that the mother said the family did not recognize it. It had the word Wilkes embroidered across the front, Wilkes, of course, the university in Pennsylvania. The ex-girlfriend was from Pennsylvania, specifically Philadelphia, which is like eight miles from this university. Is it possible that sweatshirt belonged to the ex-girlfriend? Is it possible she was there that night? Is it possible that this sweatshirt isn't connected to this case at all? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was Tiffany's friend still angry about the credit card? She was angry enough to get Tiffany's mother involved just hours earlier. Did the girls meet up to talk about it privately, and Tiffany got angry at the friend for telling her mother? None of Tiffany's friends were willing to be interviewed by Unsolved Mysteries, which probably isn't uncommon. I honestly would not want to go on a show and talk about the death of a person I had a fight with hours prior. I'd be worried how the show would spin it. So I get why they didn't want to be interviewed. But if the potential attacker wasn't someone that Tiffany knew personally, who else could it have been? Yeah. Well, according to the manager at the local Wawa, he overheard a group of teenage employees talking about Tiffany shortly after her death. According to the manager, uh, these teenagers said Tiffany had been kidnapped at gunpoint, humiliated, forced to strip down to her underwear, and then driven to the train tracks. The manager also claimed that Tiffany's friend was very upset about the stolen credit card, 
and that she had showed up at the Wawa and called a friend to pick her up. The manager implied that this girl and her friend may have attacked Tiffany. Police brought the three Wawa employees in for questioning, but none of them had a clue what the manager was talking about, and each seemed to have an airtight alibi. Investigators said the manager seemed credible, but they didn't have enough evidence to bring the case any further. But the manager did get some facts wrong when he was telling the story. He said he heard that Tiffany's friends screamed at Tiffany during her cousin's party. In reality, they did have an argument, but it was more private outside of Tiffany's house. The manager also claimed that the friend refused to speak to Tiffany's parents after Tiffany's death. But the girl not only read a speech at Tiffany's funeral, she also went to the Valenti house and gave Diane some of Tiffany's stuff so didn't exactly refuse to speak to them. However, two weeks later, the Valentis allegedly blocked that friend's phone number. And when the girl's mother showed up at their house to ask them about it, they kicked her off their property. Interesting. According to a court transcript, the friend was never told why Tiffany's friend or Tiffany's family blocked her. I don't know what that's about, but I do know it feels suspicious for a grown man to blame three teenagers for Tiffany's death when they don't appear to be involved in any way. I'm not saying they're not, for sure, because I don't know for sure, but they don't seem to be. It's just the kind of thing that you'd say to police if you're trying to throw them off your own scent. Allegedly. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying the manager was involved. I just want to know where he was on the night Tiffany died. Not accusing, just asking questions. We got to know where everybody was to try and narrow it down. So in the end, did Tiffany really take her own life or did someone use the train to destroy the evidence of Tiffany's murder? Walking miles without shoes and not having any cuts feels suspicious to me, but also so does the fact that Tiffany was undressed. And while it isn't completely uncommon for someone to undress before taking their own life, that level of suicide indicates someone who is highly distressed. And there are usually a lot more warning signs um, than that. And from what investigators could tell, it just didn't fit Tiffany uh, at the time. But if Tiffany did choose to take her clothes off before taking her own life, then where are her shorts? And why have they never been found? It seems to me that someone took them either as a memento or possibly due to the fact that they contained DNA that the perp did not want police to find. Yeah. Since Tiffany's death, her family has erected a small memorial near the tracks where Tiffany was found. It contains a small hut that is full of pictures of Tiffany with a bench where visitors can sit to remember her. There is also a small radio that plays music nonstop Tiffany's father, Stephen, also erected a full-size volleyball court in the family's yard, which is something he had previously promised Tiffany that he would do. According to the family's lawyers, the Valentis have since filed numerous lawsuits against unnamed defendants, five men and five women, who are all listed as either Steve Doe or Shirley Doe. The various lawsuits all allege that these ten accused 
participated in conspiracy, kidnapping, destruction of evidence, assault and battery, manslaughter, and murder. Uh, Before Tiffany's episode of Unsolved Mysteries aired, Diane and Stephen released a statement. And I quote, We know every day Tiffany is looking down on us, giving us the strength to help find those who snatched her and were responsible for her death just before she was to start her incredibly promising college career. We know so many others that also believe Tiffany's death was not suicide, that there was a rush to judgment to close the case, and that the real story of how and why she died has yet to be told. The combination of this new, deeply researched, fact-based program and the increased reward might just be what's necessary to help get Tiff's case reopened. Reporting for True Crime and Cocktails, I'm Christy Oxborough. Listen. Yeah. Lots to talk about. I, uh, I have some thoughts. I, I have some thoughts from before, and I have some new thoughts from now. So let's hey. take one more quick break, grab another drink, hit the can one more time, and we'll be right back talking about the episode of Unsolved Mysteries, Mystery at Mile Marker 45, on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, talking the new Unsolved Mystery episode, Mystery at Mile Marker 45. Um, all right. Lots to get into here. Lots to get into here. Uh, there's so many things that are interesting to me because, look, obviously we love Unsolved Mysteries. It's one of the main reasons why we even have an interest in doing this show. Um, Because the new Unsolved Mysteries, season one, when it came out, that was what inspired the very beginning of True Crime and Cocktails, which is amazing. Um, Yeah. But I will say to that, 
One of the things I found interesting about this episode, because something's it, it, the interesting thing about our Unsolved Mysteries coverage is, of course, I have watched all of the episodes as well, whereas sometimes when we do the show, neither of us, if you're doing an episode, I may not have watched all of it. If I'm doing an episode, you may not have watched all of it. The Unsolved Mysteries sure. episodes are episodes where we both at least have watched all of the content. I thought it was interesting that they kind of glossed over the credit card thing. Oh, yeah, they hit that and run. They made it, and then they For moved sure. away. And they never really touched on the Child Protective Services thing. Correct me no, if I'm wrong. They did not. Neither of those details prove any sort of... Um, I'm not saying that, that that means anything that is negative. I'm just saying, as I, you know, along the lines of the disclaimer I gave at the beginning of this episode, to me, it's just like... It's always important to show every facet, every fact. When we're dealing with, with with this subject matter, if it were me, I would want everyone, I lay it all out, put it all out there. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly, yeah. and the uglier. You know what I mean? Like, to me, it's like, yes. it's not from a place of judgment. It's from a place of trying to put the puzzle together to get the answers, all of the above. So it yes. was interesting to me, again, that Unsolved Mysteries made the choice in that episode to kind of gloss over, in my opinion, gloss over the credit card moment, which I think speaks to a lot. I don't think that it speaks to her being suicidal, but I think it just speaks to, no. again, where she was at that time. Um, and again, leaving out the Child Protective Services thing is interesting to me. Yeah. Because, listen, whenever a crime is committed on any human being, the first people that we look at is the immediate family. That is, yes. and when I say we, I'm using the royal we, I'm making it sound as though, of course. you know, I'm actually a police investigator, but that is the truth. So, I guess for me, my my question just is, is like, why did they choose to leave that out? Is that not true? Was that incorrect? Was that, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, to me, yeah. that's a big detail in terms of state of mind for Tiffany at the time. Um, sorry, Peaches was getting uncomfortable. Um that's a big piece to me of the puzzle where it's like, because a lot of people would say, why would she just walk away in the middle of the night? Why? Not that 930 is necessarily the middle of the night, but you know what I mean? Like, yes, all of it. This is the last time I'm going to say it. We don't present any of this with any bias. We present all of this neutrally. And that is what you yeah. should be doing anytime you are pursuing any true crime case. You need to present all of it from an unbiased place. So, again, given what we've been given, I'm saying I don't understand why you wouldn't present the, C the, the Child Protective Services thing. Because if it's nothing, then it's nothing. But to me, it, it adds to her state of mind. And if we're trying to get into her head at the time... That adds context that she's like, I can't handle this right now. I have to get away from my mom. I have to get away from my dad. 
You know what I mean? Sure. Um, I just think that's an important detail that it was interesting to me that they left out. Because again, is it that they left it out because they weren't provided it? Because they chose it? Because they felt it was untrue? What's the reasoning there? I don't have an answer for that. I don't know. But again... I kind of came away with the impression that maybe because the family worked with them on the show, that maybe it was like an understood, there are certain things you can't mention. And they were like, well, we got to mention something. And they're like, this is as far as you go. Well, I mean, that's something that's always interesting to remember in general when we're dealing with true crime, right? So whenever you're watching any true crime content and they're talking to anyone who's connected to the case, there is so many layers and levels of contracts, NDAs, deals that have to be signed in order for that to happen. You know, it is important to remember. It's a great point. Yeah. And and again, because in my opinion, when when we're covering these kinds of topics and cases, the only way to approach them is from a place of neutrality. And not choosing a side, not choosing anything other than let's get to the truth, let's get to the answer. But if you align with a specific side or person or answer to begin with, one could argue, could it taint your coverage? It could. And I would say that, again, I'm speaking in general terms and I, I stand by that. Um. Because, again, then we come to questions like, why did they crop the headlights out of that photo? That's a very interesting question. Right? And then my question would be, if we know that she was seen on the deer camera at 928, and then her parents were seen on that same camera at 929, you mean to tell me that she left off of the property and within one minute had been picked up into a stranger's random car and this had happened? The timing is weird. I I understand that it's possible she could have texted a friend or someone she knew to come and pick her up. That I can buy. Depending on the timing, is it possible in the grand scheme of anything that she knew someone that was close enough, et cetera, to come and get her. Sure. But do I believe that with her parents less than a minute behind her, a random car with the strangers could have picked her up? I don't know if I believe that. Well, especially I would think if it was someone she didn't know that forced her into the car, her parents would have heard her scream. There, yes, and that would have been part of the story. Yeah. Because they were a minute behind her. We know within a minute behind her, based on the yeah. information that they have provided. Yes. from It was time-stamped on the deer camera footage. Time-stamped. Yes. So then we also know that her cell phone was found at the end of the driveway. Yeah. And we know that she loved her phone. Listen, so do I. Sure. I was like, there's a, there's a case. You can take your phone into the shower. I would do that. Um, I love my phone. I feel no guilt about it. This isn't a judgment. But it's interesting to me, again, that it's like, well, it was found at the end of the family driveway shortly after. So that says to me this then. Yeah. 
There would have been a scream if it was a stranger. Yep. That, that would have been heard, I would think, by her parents that were shortly behind her. So to me, she if she was getting into a vehicle, it had to be people she knew. Yeah. And if she dropped that phone, it had to be an accident. Because, again, it's glued to her hand. It's, you know. Yep. Our phones are our lifelines. And, or I'll speak for myself, my phone is my lifeline. I My phone is always in my hand. And I, I feel no shame about that. Um, so that is around 9.30. And then we know it is 11.07 that she was killed by the train. So there is yep. a little bit of time here to play with. Yeah. Which is interesting. I also find it interesting that it took them an hour and a half to get a medical examiner on site. I don't know how long it typically takes. To me, that feels long. I could be wrong. I don't know. Sure. And then after that, it took another hour and a half before her parents were notified. Yeah. A lot of things to talk about here. For me, one of the big things about the medical examiner coming on scene. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things, but a nurse practitioner came on scene, pronounced the victim dead. Right. And then a while later, the medical examiner showed up. What did you do? The the victim had been pronounced dead already. So your only job at that point then is to collect the remains. But they left that to the transit police. And according to that episode of Unsolved Mysteries, they didn't do the best job. Right. And what's interesting to me about, about that, too, is like, and look, I don't know, maybe different towns, different transit police. I don't know. But like, to me, my perception of transit police when I lived in Toronto, for example, and I you know, everybody rides public transit, and I, I did every day. It was not police police. Like, to me, my perception of transit police was they were making sure everybody was doing what they were supposed to. It was kind of like a security guard thing. And if someone had sure. been hit by a train, my perception would be this is above what we do. Sure. Not in terms of energy but just in terms of oh shoot we have to have a, a police investigation unit come out here immediately like to me it's like it wouldn't it's even be a, our pay grade right it's out of our pay grade yeah. which again is not saying that anyone is better or worse as a human it's more just that it's like that's just not what we do it's a different job yeah we're not qualified for that right lots of people have different jobs it's not a comment on any human um it just feels odd to me. There's there's things about this that just don't make sense to me. Where did this axe come from? What's on the axe? Let's test it. Why is it there? Can we trust this person? All of the above. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's just it a makes complete sense. Yeah. If there is understood that a train going that speed, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I get why they would instantly think it, the entire thing happened because of the train. But 
if there's a potential murder weapon just laying there, collect it and test it. Test it. And also, isn't would, would there be a way, and maybe not, for people in the transit police to just go, we're in over our heads. We need to bring someone else in. Like, couldn't they bring someone else into that investigation? Like a detective who would look at it in a different way? They should have. And I don't know what the rules are. It feels, I'm sure that it was one of those situations where they didn't feel they could or they couldn't. But yeah, they're, the system should be absolutely, yes. We shouldn't be relying on, here's my belief. We shouldn't be relying on one set of individuals to to investigate anything. Sure. Even if we have a set of very seasoned investigators, you know as well as I do, you put a different set of eyes, a different set of brains, a different set of whatever on something, they're going to see it from another angle, and that's yeah. and that's when progress is made. So to me, anybody getting precious about it being their investigation versus someone else's or whatever, you don't have the ultimate goal in sight, which is the victim. Yeah, there's to me there should be no ego when it comes to uh, a victim, in my opinion. Um, yeah, the ax is, I don't know. That's another thing that just like stuck with me that I'm like, that feels like a thing. The other thing again is the engineer, uh, the training engineer, uh, apprentice, excuse me, saying that he saw her jump in front of the train wearing black clothing, wearing black shorts, a black sweatshirt, all of these things. And I'm like, but she was in a black set of underwear and a black bra. Now, or 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 just underwear. Were they black? I don't know. It was. I don't know. They never specified, right? I don't think so. I don't think they did. So for me also, it's like, okay, so either you're assuming or your brain has made some connections because you experienced a trauma that may or may not be exact. The bigger thing being, we know that she was seen, because let's stick to the facts, that's what we try and do. She was seen on the deer camera around 9.30, and she was in a shorts, a, a, a shirt, shorts, bra, underwear, shoes, headband. That we know is a fact. Sure. We assume with the bra, underwear, obviously. We're assuming. Yes. Well, yes, great point, because that brings me to my next point, which is, this body was never tested. Yeah. So we're guessing. We're guessing that it's her. Now, I'm assuming what? They measured the the bones. They measured the extremities. And it feel, felt like she was also tall. So that's how they... Because when you got into the details, there was no DNA compared to her parents. It was all being assumed off of her yep. uncle's ID. So no fingerprints, no dentals, no DNA were run. We're basing this only on this uncle's testimony. Yes. I got a pro I got a few problems with that. 
I'll be honest. Yeah. Because few things. One, okay, he said it was her. Great. Again, did you measure the bones? And maybe they did. And they were like, oh, she is six foot two. Because here's the thing about Tiffany. Tiffany was a tall woman. We know yes. this. That was a distinguishing factor. We know she was recognizable within her community. That's a huge deal. Yeah. Unless we can see... In a court of law, also, by the way, we've done this show long enough. In a court of law, if the only proof that you had that that body was her was based on someone's visual identifying of the body, even though we know that, unfortunately, the body was probably beyond being identified. Sure. And measurements. You know as well as I do, that's not going to stand up in a court of law. And we're not even no. hearing that there was a there was a measurements done. No, um, the second uh, Dr. Donald Jason, the second uh, coroner who looked at the report years later, said one of the things he pointed out was they never like laid the body out to even because obviously they couldn't get an exact measurement based on the condition of it, but they did not lay the body out to measure to even give an approximate. They gave like a measurement of a portion of the body, but did not do a measurement of the entire thing. So you know as well as I do, if we are basing this on a measurement of a portion of the body in a court of law, no one is going, no court of law is going to be like, yep, that was her. It's all about reasonable doubt. Sure. So to me... Given that, why are we assuming this was even her? There's a world in which she was taken, she ran away, fell into whatever crowd, right crowd or wrong crowd. You know what I'm saying? Doesn't it feel like there is a world in which this person is still alive? And all of this is, to, is, is, is noise. There's been no proof. There's no DNA. There's no fingerprint. There's no dental connecting that body to her. I'm so sorry. Once again, I'm sorry, listeners, if you're screaming at me as you're listening, but I have to say it. There's no definitive scientific proof, right? Yeah. And so that I say, well, that, and then we're in a whole other world where it goes, who did pick her up that day? What did they do to her? Where did they go? Is it possible? Sure. Go with me for a second here. Is it possible she was picked up by a friend? I believe it has to be somebody she knew because I think her family would have heard a scream. Sure. She ends up. In a situation she doesn't want to be in, et cetera, all of the above. Is it possible that the body on those tracks wasn't her? That's my big question. Um, I did think it for the moment where I read that they didn't do any specific testing and they just went, we're just going to go with visual and move on from that. 
Um, the body did have a bracelet. Okay. That did belong to her. Okay. Or that they said belonged to her. So I assume, because once you're that level, that's like, you're making it, like you're trying to disappear. And I just don't know if an 18-year-old could pull that off. I guess for me, my question is just, why not, and this is not on her or the family or anyone, anyone other than the medical examiner or investigators, like, why aren't you running a secondary test? Oh, you just automatically should. Because again, just for in, verification. in a court of law, okay, she had a bracelet on her wrist. Great. We would all assume that means it's her. Of course. Of course. Sure. But you know as well as I do that if you are getting into a court of law with a good enough lawyer, there's no DNA, there's no dental, you're basing it all on, there's no measurements or there's there's eeky measurements. You're basing it all on a visual when this person yeah. has been struck by a fast-moving train and a bracelet? Yep. I mean. Oh, yeah. They absolutely should have verified. It should have been verified. When it, like, when it was, you know, based on it. You know, it does sound like this is probably who this is. Let this guy look at the body. It's like, how traumatizing was that for him? Well, yeah. Yeah. And then my next question is like, why was she cremated so fast? I mean, I understand, you know, different people want different things. But, you know, in the other case that you brought up, the case of Sherry Morrow, she was not, her body was buried and then it was exhumed and then she ended, the, the justice ended up getting served later, right? Yes. It's just an interesting thing to me that it was like a family that's like, she absolutely did not commit suicide. We will pay any price to make that true. We're going to cremate her days after all of this. And I understand that her body had been through a lot through the train incident. But sure. it's just, again, I have to bring it up. Um, because it's odd to me. Um, yeah, I mean, again, uh, some of these, some of these things I've written down, it's like a lot of the same. I guess, again, here's the other thing. Was, and you may not have the answer for this, but like, was, and what was her, I don't know the state of her body, I should also say. I guess for me, what I keep coming back to is like, what's the motive? Yeah. Right? What's the motive? So if this is random, which to me, again, feels unlikely, if she was taken off of her own street, there was no screaming, et cetera, but let's say she was, what's the motive? Was she checked for sexual assault? Was was that in the autopsy? Nope. No, no rape kit was done. Cool. I mean, it's 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 infuriating yeah. because again, to me, it's like, where do you even go then? Yeah, we can't begin. And at that point, also, that makes me want to go. Okay, cool. I close my book then because we can't begin to speculate. 
We we or or rather yeah. we could speculate forever. Yeah. Right? I think at this point, especially when multiple experts have looked at the original investigation and said, like, this is undetermined yep. at best. Um and with no body to be able to do the proper um searches not searches that wasn't the word i meant um the proper testing and then all the evidence is basically garbage because it wasn't properly sealed it's just at this point i mean you're waiting on either if someone was involved for them to come forward and admit to it or if there was another witness who knows something that they haven't come forward with like those are the only ways you're ever going to get it solved. And again, you know, this woman was six foot two. Yes. It's been stated multiple times she was well known in the community. You know, I say that only again that it's like, it just feels impossible to me that someone who was so distinct who took up so much space, not that you should have to, you shouldn't have to, by the way, but with all of that in mind and all of these details in mind, it just feels impossible to me. It feels impossible to me that this is someone who, um, again, it, it, there, there, there's just so many question marks. I know. And, and look, I understand. And you know what? People people may hate my take on all of this and whatever, but but again, my whole point when I make, gave that caveat at the beginning of the episode and my whole point now is just that it's truly, when we approach these things, we really do from a place of neutrality where it's like trying to see where are the places in, where are the cracks, what can we find out, what what makes sense, like where's a way in? And sometimes it may feel like there is, but oftentimes it feels like, what are we coming up against? And this one feels like one where it's like, I don't even know what to say anymore. You know, the body never tested for DNA, no dental, not checked for a sexual assault. We don't know a motive. Her bracelet was placed on that wrist. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's. It's hard, and that's not me saying it's not worth the time. Of course it is. But for me, it's just like we keep hitting – we keep coming up against a wall. That's what yes. it feels like with this one. And it's too bad. It really is because it feels to me, again, like there has to be some answers here. And it's odd to me that if there was this outside kind of force involved, if there was this outside – Kidnapping, abducting, whatever you want to label it as. Wouldn't she have come back? Or wouldn't we have found another body? You'd think so. And if she has been taken to some kind of, uh, you know, human trafficking situation... It just doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't sit with me. And and again, 
For her to have been taken into a human trafficking situation, the timing would have had to have been extremely convenient. Yes. That she happened to get into this argument with a friend who brought her mother over to see her parents. Like, is it impossible? No. Is it improbable? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I I think they should have tested for the sake of verifying. Um, but, I mean, in the end, I think it was probably her body. Yeah. But it, to your point, any, like, theory you think of, it, it can't be proven because you don't have the evidence and you don't have the proper testing that was done. So there's not a lot to go off yeah. of going forward. So again, it's just a case of waiting for someone who knows more to actually come forward and admit to it. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, do you have any other theories that you've been pushing oh, around? God. I could, I could scream about those feet forever. And I yeah. have, um, to me, that's not someone that walked no that specific distance over that specific terrain. Um, and the shorts, the shorts will bother me yeah. until the end of time. Because why would they be missing if she well chose to take her clothes off? And my other question is, if her family said she left wearing all of these clothes yes, and she was found a different way, I mean, even regardless of that. But with that detail, why wasn't there a rape kit done? Why wasn't there any sort of... Why wasn't that a priority? Yes. Oh, 100%. Especially when she's found without shorts. Right. Like, I understand that, like, it just felt like they didn't care when doing that autopsy. And it was like, it doesn't matter. Obviously, this is what happened. So it doesn't matter anything else. We don't have to worry about doing everything and that's how that autopsy was done in under an hour yep it's like give her the respect she deserves and do the job to the full way you would do it for anybody else yep because then we'd have a lot more answers than we currently do totally well listen christy oxborough amazing research Fantastic information, as always. I, I wish there was more that we could give, but unfortunately, this is where we're at. It is. I mean, these, it's very similar to when we did Unsolved Mysteries in our first season. Yeah. There's only so far that you can go with it. And I mean, back then, we were babies. Babies. Um, And our episodes were like an hour and a half, and that was sometimes pushing it with how much information we could find. Yeah. Um, so it's not a surprise that we're back here, uh, back at our roots, but also feeling like, ah, uh, we, we have to try and go over an hour and a half. Listen, but it's not what we do. Not when there's uh, not the information to continue it, you know? Absolutely. Well, listen, we give you everything we can find, all of the deets, 
all of the information, you know, in a, from an unbiased place, again, from a place of truly trying to raise awareness, trying to continue to tell the stories and in the hopes that maybe we will get some answers at some point. But I thank you for your research. Fabulous as always. And thank you, dear listeners, for listening to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. If you haven't already, give us a follow on the socials on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at True Crime and Cocktails, on Twitter at Not Detectives. And if you'd like some more content, as I um, I did not reference, I was going to talk about merch again. It's on my brain. Uh, but if you'd like some more content, go to patreon.com slash True Crime and Cocktails, where we have bonus episodes every month, live monthly Q&As, polls, all kinds of things. It's a whole lot of fun. Check that out if you're interested. And of course, now I'm getting to it. The only place for official True Crime and Cocktails merch is truecrewmerch.com. So check that out if you're interested. Christy, do you want to tell the people about next week's episode? Right. I love that I forgot that's where we were, <laughs> we were going next. Yes. God, it's been a day. On the next True Crime and Cocktails, Unsolved Mysteries, Death in a Vegas Motel. That's right. Oh. Buffalo Jim. That is the case, of course. Yeah. We put up another little poll on Instagram, and this did feel, again, like the one that people were responding to the most. So yeah. that's going to be the next case that we tackle. But, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how we continue forward as we go through these episodes. Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? Good night, Leslie Jordan. Good night, Keanu Reeves. 